It's show 43 of the Rim Pro Report. This week is Legal Week with Larry Varn of Pierce Atwood. And we're going to get you caught up on the latest industry news. The Rim Pro Report is sponsored by O'Neill Software. You might not know this, but they were the industry pioneers for barcode tracking, portable printers, wireless handhelds, and web technology. And you know what? They keep on innovating. Their RS Mobile scanning products let you complete record center tasks directly from your wireless handheld. To learn more about them, check them out at O'Neillsoft.com. You know, in the immortal words of Pink, let's get this party started, shall we? Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Well, welcome to 43rd show. I can't believe it. 43 shows. Glad you're with us today. Summer is uh, getting close, at least in North America it is. Kids are out of school this week, later this week, if you've got kids. And so lots sort of evolving as the weeks progress. And so as we kind of move into the summer part of the North American life anyways, just uh, hope you're enjoying the sunshine, the weather, and all that comes with it. As luck would have it, we have a legend in the studio today, Mr. John Wayne. I've been trying like crazy to get him here, and I, I thought I'd come to the end of my trying, but you know, apparently I, I got him. You're a persistent uh, pilgrim. <laughs> yep, I am. You've been really hard to reach recently, Mr. Wayne. You seem to be a little buried with stuff. I didn't want to bother you. You seemed uh, like six feet under. Well, don't fret about that, Pilgrim. Well, I'm trying not to fret about it, and thank you for being here. I, I really appreciate you showing up. You don't look so well, though. You're, you're looking a little ashen. Actually, you look a little bit ghostly. I wouldn't make it a habit calling me that, son. Well, all right. My apologies. Well, I'm glad you're here, though, to be a part of the program this week. Hey, today our special guest is Larry Varn. Larry, if you don't know him, is the RIM industry lawyer. Larry is a partner in Pierce Atwood's litigation group in Boston. He's a doctor of law graduate from the prestigious Harvard Law School. Larry's an industry insider and someone you should probably be aware of if you're not already, and someone you might one day need to call on. He has particular expertise in record center fires, code, and a whole lot more. You know what? Larry's a fighter on behalf of the industry too. Uh, he's active in the NFPA. Uh, he's been named a super lawyer in Massachusetts. Well, I, that's a hard word to say. Um, it's easier just to say mass, a super lawyer in mass for uh, oh, five years. So bottom line, this guy knows our industry and that's why we have him on the show this week. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him shortly. Well, I know those law books mean a lot to you, but not out here. Out here, a man settles his own problem. Well, yeah, yeah, Mr. Wayne, uh, in this country now, uh, if you have a fire or other issues in your record center, you don't settle them yourself. You call Larry, and we're going to call Larry shortly after we check out the industry news this week.
Well, this company keeps showing up in the news. They've been uh, pretty active recently in the news. Archive Systems, which is headquartered in Fairfield, New Jersey, has launched a record center in the Washington, D.C. area. This new location adds to their existing branches in New Jersey, Phoenix, uh, Fairview, Oregon, and Kent, Washington. I think I should get Andy Cavall on the show soon and talk about what they're doing. Uh, speaking of Archive Systems, they've recently developed a program called RimScore, and that's actually a trademark name, but RimScore. And this RimScore provides instant visibility in the health of an organization's records management program. The RimScore is based on three components of a records management program, compliance, going green, and cost effectiveness. How an organization is performing in these areas is then compared to its peers, making the score a dynamic living metric, they say. These are then presented as one score to... Um, the records management professional giving them a key performance indicator that they can track over time. The score is backed by a breakdown of the core areas so the records management professionals can clearly see areas that can be improved. And I tell you this because as I kind of see what people are doing out there and pass them on to you, take some of these ideas and bring them into what you're doing in your own business. That's, that's some cool stuff. Think you can make it, Pilgrim? Well, I, I, I'm trying to. There's there's lots more news to read, though. So, uh, yeah, Iron Mountain announced a couple of days ago that its board of directors declared a quarterly cash dividend of 25 cents a share, or that actually equates to a buck per share on an annualized basis at its regularly scheduled meeting held June 10th, 2011. This is an increase of 33% over the quarterly dividend previously paid. The dividend is payable on July 15th. The stockholders of record uh, who were stockholders of record, I guess, June 24th. Uh, Richard Reese, he claims, or he, he suggested in their press release, the action taken by our board, which follows the announcement of their 250 million variable stock purchase plan in May, represents another step in delivering their commitment to return $2.2 billion of capital to stockholders through 2013. So uh, Iron Mountain's Paying off the investors, it looks like. Hey, Citigroup plans to issue replacement credit cards to tens of thousands of customers affected by an incident of unauthorized access to customer information. A Citigroup spokesman on Thursday didn't rule out the possibility of fraudulent charges on the accounts, which Citi said represent about 1% of its North American bank card customers. The spokesman added the fraud protection covering unauthorized use should apply in such cases. Citi has 21 one million credit card accounts. I won't be wronged. I won't be insulted. I won't be laid a hand on. Yeah. I don't do these things to other people. I require the same from them. Well, I wish it were that easy these days, John. You know, the the hackers, they're out there in force and they're they're making, you know, this last couple of weeks, man, they they've been making some pretty high highly significant uh, hits on on banks and uh, government agencies, and it's almost a weekly news item now, but it seems like it just keeps increasing. And you know the the new you know the new criminals are all cyber in their nature. Not that the other ones have gone away, but man, the the big stuff happening online is pretty significant. Uh, speaking of that, the recent string of these sensational hacker attacks is driving companies to now seek what's called cyber insurance worth hundreds of millions of dollars, even though many policies that they're buying can still leave them exposed to claims. 
companies are having to embrace not just their information technology practices, but also their human resources and employee training functions just to get adequate coverage against intrusion. And in some cases, they are also accepting deductibles in the tens of millions of dollars. Insurers and insurance brokers say demand is soaring now as companies try and protect themselves against civil suits and the potential for fines by governments and regulators but also as they seek help paying for mundane costs like sorry letters to their customers. In the past few weeks, the U.S. Senate, the International Monetary Fund, defense contractor Lockheed Martin, uh, Citigroup, as I've just mentioned, technology giant Google, and consumer electronics group Sony, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, are among those who have disclosed significant and serious hacker attacks of various kinds. In the days after Sony disclosed that it had more than 100 million customer accounts compromised, uh, it said its insurance would help cover the cost of fixing its systems and providing identity theft services to account holders, which apparently helped to drum up business for the still growing segment of the industry, this whole cyber insurance part, and the demand has only intensified since a more recent breach at Citigroup uh, and security experts say that that's probably the largest direct attack on a U.S. bank to date. Some insurance companies say that this is the moment the industry has been waiting for as the tide of bad news becomes so overwhelming that customers have no choice but to seek coverage. Uh, Actually, Tuesday this week, Travelers Companies became the latest insurer to launch a big package of policies covering various fraud and expense liabilities. It isn't always being fast or even accurate that counts. It's being willing. I found out early that Most Mm -hmm. men, regardless of cause or need, aren't willing. They blink an eye or draw a breath before they pull a trigger. I won't. Well, um, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what you're talking about there, uh, Mr. Wayne, but uh, I think your point is that the insurance companies are responding to what's happening out there, I think. And, uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Hey, great article in Aid this month about free shred days and the history of them. Be sure to read the article by Dustin McKisson. Uh, so in response to that article, as I was reading that a couple of days ago, I was uh, doing some digging and uh, seems like a Plymouth, Pennsylvania funeral home, which is Kirk and Nice, uh, is celebrating their 250th anniversary with an open house. Now, this is no slouch of a funeral home. They're the oldest funeral establishment in the U.S. of A. Now, what do you think was the big gift on their anniversary they gave to their customers? You guessed it, a free shred day. The shredding event we thought was relevant for families we serve, said Eva Brothers, who is the historian for Kirk and Nice. When they are cleaning out the estate of a relative after the funeral, there are things that just can't be thrown away. Shredding is a way to ensure that the information is destroyed and not copied somewhere. Well, rumor has it that people were just dying to get their stuff shredded. Oh, yes. Well, congratulations to Wigan Shredding for getting that gig. That's a good gig to get. And, you know, at the RIMPRO Report here, we're always giving you great ideas. So check in with your local funeral homes and get some free shred days set up after the example of the oldest funeral home in the USA. Well, that's it for the news. If you have anything cool happening in your neck of the woods or in your local funeral home, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Well, I want to get Larry Varn on the line. Best not keep him waiting. You better listen. 
He's a lawyer, you know. I know. We will be listening. Hang on while I get him on the line. Larry Varn is a partner in Pierce Atwood's litigation group in Boston and is, in my estimation, the rim industry's best-known lawyer. Larry is someone you want on your side in any legal battle, and it looks like I've got Larry on the line. Larry, are you there? I'm here. Hey, welcome to the Rim Pro Report. Um, you've been a, a lawyer in this industry for a long time, done a lot of work in it, but tell me when did you first create a connection between RIM, the RIM service world, and your role as a lawyer? Well, I can tell you exactly. It was March 19th, 1997. Wow. So tell me about that. Well, although I had done, you know, minor work for one of the larger uh, RIM providers yeah. uh, in the country, on that day I received an emergency call uh, asking me if I could transport myself uh, very quickly to uh, central New Jersey where a very large catastrophic fire was burning in a in a records storage facility, and I did. And uh, about three weeks later, I got home. Wow. So that, that New Jersey fire was the first one that you really kind of sunk your teeth into our industry. Uh, that, that's right. I had had minor issues and engagements, uh, you know, in the industry before that, but, but that was the first really significant um, event that led to, you know, a long-term connection with the industry. Right. So tell me some of the areas you have, have sort of, uh, obviously as it related to that fire, but uh, other areas since 97 uh, that you have kind of learned about, got uh, expertise in and developed in as it relates to record centers and, and the whole rim service industry. Tell me a little bit more about some of those specific areas. Yeah, well, I can tell you about a bunch of them. I mean, first, that, that fire was not my only rodeo so to speak. Right. Uh, you know, an industry that is in the business of storing what we sometimes refer to as kindling, yeah. um, you know, is going to have an incident from uh, time to time. Right. I think we've, we've come a long way, though, in terms of reducing the likelihood or frequency or severity of those, because the next sort of add-on to that was to work very closely with the industry, with members, with PRISM, uh, etc., in terms of the two key applicable National Fire Protection Association codes and standards dealing with the industry, uh, one being known as number 232, which is the standard for the protection of records, Uh, the other being NFPA 13, which is the standard for the installation of of sprinkler systems. Uh, We sort of culminated a couple of years ago following some um, very extensive and expensive large-scale testing with specific uh, provisions in the standard dealing with the protection of um, high pile or high bay record storage. So that was the next sort of add-on. In addition to that, I work closely with um, contracts, both the PRISM standard contract, but also on behalf of many members with sort of particularized contracts, typically with larger customers that implicate issues under the Uniform Commercial Code, uh, issues of indemnification, value of deposits, liability limits, um, etc. And that, that's sort of bread and butter work, but yeah. I've certainly done a lot. I've responded to a series of alleged, you know, uh, privacy uh, breaches and uh, data breaches, data loss um, situations, uh, certainly uh, addressed uh, disputes with uh, 
customers over you know various and sundry issues. So it's been pretty pretty well rounded around the industry, I think, over the more than fifteen years since I first got involved. Yeah, wow, that's that's an impressive uh, that's an impressive resume as it relates to our industry. I, and that's why I said I don't think anyone has had had the breadth and length of experience in this industry, although each, you know, lots of record centers across the country will hire a lawyer to help them with certain things here and there. But as it pertains to our specific industry, it, it's quite a broad base of, of knowledge that you've, you've built over the years. You've been around the block and you, you have a reputation for being an exceptionally good litigator. So you know, being around the block and doing the kind of stuff you, you have done, you must have some good stories. Do you have any rim ones that you'd be willing to share with us? I realize that you're probably under obligation not to talk about certain things, but I'm sure within the public record, there might be some good stories that you could tell our listeners. Well, I've certainly had a lot of unusual experiences and yeah. had a number of, how should we say, colorful yeah. individuals and characters in the, in the industry. A couple of them, though, you know, kind of just have always been firmly... Uh, etched uh, in my mind. One, we had a situation for a member company who uh, uh, had an employee who departed who was suspected to have hacked back into the systems to uh, potentially pirate software or something for a uh, for a new employer. And uh, I remember going to court uh, on the day before Thanksgiving one year and um, a judge issued an order uh, allowing us to basically confiscate all of the computers of the competing organization. and We assembled a, something that looked like a special forces squad and <laughs> descended on them at about 4 o'clock on, uh, on, the, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And my recollection was he was fired at about 4.01, and the case was settled at about 4.30. Wow. So that one, that one is pretty well etched. I, I remember another one, um, I hope... Bonnie Tyler isn't too offended, but uh, some people who are old enough will remember that she sang um, a song called Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yes, great song. And it, was either, it was either the longest song in the world or it just seemed like it. <laughs> but it was alleged that yeah. one of the member companies had lost the original, I think it was a full 32-track original recording of, of that music, and we burrowed pretty hard into that to establish that not only we didn't lose it because we never had it. Oh, wow. Um, and that uh, we were sort of being uh, something of a scapegoat for somebody else's, uh, you know, missteps, put it that way. Yeah. Um, and one of the last one that I recall was there was a um, disappearance of some data tapes a number of years ago. Um, and I decided that, you know, clearly the best, way to uh, address the uh, inevitable litigation that, that ensued was to see if we couldn't really make an all-out effort to find them. And when the traditional investigative means didn't, didn't yield results, we uh, put ads in the newspaper, and ultimately we posted three, build, three or four billboards on the major approaches to a metropolitan area. Um, offering a significant reward for their return. And uh, lo and behold, uh, two fellows who had, had found the thing and thought it was a wonderful little box to put uh, you know, fuses and spare parts in, they turned up. So that was kind of fun. So they turned up with the tapes? They, they actually didn't turn up with the tapes, but they did turn up with credible information about how the tapes had been disposed of in a way that no one 
would be compromised. And, oh wow! Uh, I think the four. I think there were four class actions that had ensued from that that disappeared pretty readily, uh, rapidly thereafter. But but so the the billboards actually solved that case. The billboards, yeah. That's hilarious. It's created a tremendous amount of interest in the local media to see. A, I don't remember. I don't remember which brand of case it was, but to, you know, basically see a bright blue box with a reward for it. That's that's so funny because because yeah. those those tape cases like the turtle cases or whatever they are they do, they don't necessarily. Uh, you know, they're not run-of-the-mill normal things that the average person in any given day sees. I know I used to I used to have one that got given to me at a conference that I used to let my kid use as a lunchbox. Well, they're wonderful lunchboxes in this particular part of the world. They, they were also particularly good for, for bait to go fishing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So um, you do, you said already you're you're highly involved in NFPA, and I, I know that um, even today you're you're involved in the NFBA conferences or conference and stuff that's going on. But, but tell me a little bit more about the work you have done that supports our industry as it relates to the NFPA. Well, there are two key NFPA documents right. that bear directly on the uh, records management industry. Uh, the first is uh, known, it's just called NFPA 232, which is the standard for the protection of records. Right. Uh, that has been... And each NFPA document has a technical committee associated with it whose responsibility to sort of supervise that document as they, as they go through periodic revision cycles. Okay. Uh, 232 has been very controversial for at least 10 years Yeah. Uh, with different interest groups having different positions about construction requirements, uh, protection requirements, and so on. Um, we have... And I have served on that technical committee now for at least the last five or so years. Um, we've just completed a revision cycle for the, the new edition, which yeah. will have 2011 date on it, and uh, essentially accomplished, I think, pretty much everything that the industry wanted in order to make it a, a clearer, more user-friendly, more practical, more business-oriented um, document than the one we started with. And just this morning, in fact, um, the vote was taken at the uh, NFPA technical session at its annual meeting uh, here in Boston this year. Uh, and we can expect a, a new edition, new and improved edition, uh, to hit the press probably in you know early autumn. Now, so that's the first one. Yeah, okay. The second one is NFPA 13, which is the standard for the protection of sprinkler systems. Right. Again, it has been very controversial for many years about exactly what that standard either requires or permits um, in record centers because they do typically utilize a storage array and storage system that is is industry unique. Right. And so in 2007, um, Iron Mountain sponsored and, and funded uh I supervised and worked with the engineering professionals on a series of very large-scale, by large-scale, I mean 40 feet in the air, uh, tests, of, fire, fire tests of, of the sort of new and improved protection scheme. The re results of those tests were stunningly successful, and uh, as a result, in the, in the latest edition of 13, there are specific provisions that uh, deal with, uh, Directly with with uh, commercial records, or commercial or private or governmental right. record centers that uh, uh, are in, 
intelligible, uh, have the consensus support of the affected uh, industries, and and uh, it sort of brought an end, we think, to most of the most of the squabbling over those issues. And you were you were running those whole test things back in two thousand and seven. I was there. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Because that that was huge for the industry and for for people who haven't been a part of the industry that long. That was a significant. Um, transition and a, a significant move forward for the industry at that point in time, and I, I didn't know that you were you were sort of at the uh, at the heart of that whole thing. Very yeah, cool. And they're fun. Yeah, they're fun too. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so you also brought up fires, and I know you talked about sort of getting involved in the in the fire aspect of it, and but you've been involved in a number of fires. Tell me a little bit more about your experience as it relates to the fires that have happened in this industry. Well, the first uh, it was thought of as one fire, but in fact there were three fires in, in two adjacent New Jersey record setters in 1997, um, and that's where I, that was my big learning curve, yeah. I, I guess. But the, the ultimate result of that, and what I think members ought to be uh, well aware of, is that there was a seven-year litigation tale uh, following those incidents. Wow. Uh, they were all resolved very satisfactorily. Uh, one in the case of a trial that, that we won, and the other through advantageous um, settlements. But yeah. you know, they, they uh, you know, the embers stay warm for a long time. Really? Wow. Uh, the other, probably largest one, uh, probably the largest commercial record center fire ever, which I spoke to at a couple of different Prism conferences, was, yeah. was the London fire in uh, right. in two thousand six. There have been other, you know, smaller, less. Yeah noteworthy, uh, less destructive incidents, but, you know, that was the big one. That was at a special challenge because, um, given it was a multi-purpose uh, uh, facility, it wasn't just storage, and um, I think we quickly ascertained that in the seven or eight days preceding the actual event, something like 300 people had been in and out of that uh, building, and all of them needed to be talked to, interviewed, questioned, um, Etc. To uh, for no other purpose than to clear them of any potential right. suspicion, and so um, coming up with a structured interview protocol so that we could do that in, in rapid order was was a challenge. But uh, fortunately, I had the services of uh, a team of ex-British police, intelligence, and military officials that uh, that we were able to find. Wow. It's like I asked you to be, or a little bit ago, you, you have so many stories. I know there's so many you can't tell, but you, you know, you have this rich history of really interesting stuff, like interviewing hundreds of people in London and, and all sorts of different things you've been involved in. But let, let, let's turn it a little bit because you've had all this experience from the perspective of being the, the lawyer supporting the cause, whether it be uh, for your clients, whether it be at, in your, in your work in NFPA, Tell me from your perspective where you think many RIM operators, service companies, might be exposing themselves with risk. Well, I think there are probably, I, I thought about this, and I think there are probably really four areas that sort of stand out. Okay. Um, and, and three of which are uh, really controllable, I think, on the part of, of RIM operators. Uh, the first is to make sure that every single customer that you provide services for storage, transportation, et cetera, yeah. you know, is a party to a written agreement. Okay. Uh, and the key provisions which the Uniform Commercial Code specifically endorses 
are the ability to limit your liability in the event of loss, um, except in the case if, you know, you were to steal it or something, which, right. of course, just doesn't happen in this right. industry. Um, that's number one. Number two, you know, avoid agreements, which uh, increasingly I see customers wanting to impose that have sort of onerous or indemnification obligations in the event of, of, of loss or damage because... You know, they can be, very quickly, they can be turned into bet-the-company situations, particularly um, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, privacy issues, uh, personal data, et cetera, since we have this uh, overwhelmingly bizarre and overlapping regulatory scheme. Right. Uh, The third is make sure you have the right insurance, Hmm. Um, because, again, um, this is a unique industry and, yeah. and many insurance professionals, whether they be brokers or underwriters, etc., just aren't familiar with it. And it's important to deal with someone who really is and, you know, who can make sure that you are, you know, covered for what you need to be covered for. Hmm. And then the last one is what we call mysterious disappearance. When you have human beings involved in any <laughs> anything, occasionally things will go wrong. Yeah. Um, a carton will get stored you know, in the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Mostly these are benign. They're not. They're not malicious. Yeah. Uh, in any sense of the word, it's just that you know, if you have two hundred thousand or five hundred thousand or a million cartons in a in a facility, occasionally one will end up where it's not supposed to be. Right. And uh, in some states, however, um, if if uh, you cannot adequately explain why something delivered to your custody can't be returned, your contractual liability limit um, is no good. That's particularly true in New York, for example, Hmm. and and New Jersey. And so I think the operational lesson to be learned there is when you see, whether it be daily or weekly or whatever, periodically, that you have sort of unresolved um, inventory issues. Yeah. Uh, jump on them sooner rather than later while, uh, you yeah. know, you have a much higher rate of sort of solving the mystery than 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 is the case if you allow them to go unresolved for long periods of time. Oh, it's, so it's, those are the big four. Such a good, that's such a good lesson to learn. I, I In my own record center, uh, a number of years ago, we, we lost a box, and there, there's a tendency to just go, uh, well, we'll get to it eventually. Uh, and we had to turn our entire record center upside down only to discover it was double barcoded front and back. And we were looking at the wrong barcode all the time. But, you know, it's one of those it's one of those things. Yes, sooner than later tends to leave a shorter trail. But great points. And I, I really appreciate you making those. Hey, it's you know, we we blow through 20 minutes very quickly. But uh, thanks for your perspective on that. I, I as I've said before, I think you are probably one of the, you know, the most seasoned veteran lawyers in this whole industry. And I appreciate your perspective and your history. And on behalf of the industry, thank you for all the work you continue to do on behalf of the industry to support us. So that's, that's great. You're more than welcome. Thanks, Tom. Let me ask you just a couple of quick fun questions that I always ask my guests. Um, If you could do a profession other than being a lawyer, is there any other one you would have chosen? Boy, it's really hard. I, uh, but the answer is yes. If I wasn't a lawyer, I would have probably been um, a pilot. A pilot. Oh, very cool. Are, do you yeah. have your pilot's license? No, I don't. But when I was young, I was offered the opportunity to uh, to go to the U.S. Air Force Academy. 
Oh, cool. And uh, back in those days, if you did not have 20-20 vision without correction, you could join the Air Force, but you couldn't sit in the first seat. Oh. And I said, well, it sure didn't seem all that interesting to go to the Air Force if you couldn't fly. <laughs> so you went to Harvard instead. Well, you went to Nebraska <laughs> and then Harvard. Right. I grew up in the Midwest and went to the University of Nebraska first. Wow. And you've got your uh, your doctorate from Harvard, which is pretty cool, too. Um, hey, if you've, if you've got a perfect vehicle, what is it? What's perfect the, vehicle? Yeah. What's your perfect vehicle? What's your favorite, best? You know, if you could have any vehicle in the world, what would it be? Oh, it'd be a Bentley for sure. Bentley? Okay. Yeah. And uh, final question. Uh, if you could have lunch with one person you've never met uh, but greatly admire, who would that be? Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. Very cool. Well, Larry, it's been a pleasure. I will make sure everybody has access to your your uh, contact details on the rimproreport.com website. And thanks for being a part of this, and thanks for uh, everything you do again. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for asking me, Tom. Okay, bye. Bye. That was Larry Varn. You know, I really love those four points he made on risk, and I think it's important that you be aware of them as well. What did you think of that, John Wayne? Well, if you're coming to me for advice, I'm a dry hole. <laughs> well, no worries then. No advice necessary. But, hey, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, good luck, Pilgrim. Well, thank you, Pilgrim. Hey, thanks to Anil Software as well, our exclusive sponsor. They're committed to leading the industry. They're celebrating their 30th year. And uh, since in those 30 years, O'Neill Software has now installed in over 1,000 record centers in more than 78 countries, ranging from startups to multinationals. If you're interested in being one of them, you can learn more about them at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it. We are out of here. Thanks for being with us. We'll catch up with you next week. I think you're bluffing. No, no, no. We're not bluffing, Mr. Wayne. See, here comes the music. See ya. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. Where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.